Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Thank you all so much for joining us this week. We get to share one of our favorite parts of our month with you all, where we get to read and discuss the questions and stories that you guys have submitted to us. So Denise, would you like to start us off with our first question? I'd love to. It says, hi, Samantha and Denise. It is honestly such a privilege to reach out to you. I've been an avid listener of both the Enlightened Empaths and Psychic Teachers podcast for the last year. I can't thank you enough for putting these wonderful shows and information into the world. I must admit they've helped me through what has been a pretty difficult year. My dad has been really sick with a few progressive diseases, and as a result, over the last year or so, I've been traveling back and forth from my home to his several times a month to help. It's about five hours away, and your shows have been an uplifting, educational, and positive distraction, and have also provided much-needed comfort, as well as a pleasant way to spend the extensive time and miles traveling. My question is more of a request. Could you do a show on anxiety and the empath? This is something that I struggle with, and often I feel that being a sensitive person makes me so much more susceptible to being anxious. Life itself can easily become overwhelming. But as empaths, absorbing all the energy around us, it's sometimes hard to even know what's yours for the mere reason of picking up others' moods, emotions, etc. This, of course, being magnified when dealing with a stressful situation like a sick parent. I love the idea of the law of attraction and manifestation, but many times I've found that the anxiety can get in the way of that as well. I would personally love it if you guys could cover this topic and perhaps how it can be coped with and redirected as well as its relation to manifestation. I think there is definitely a link between being an empath and having elevated anxiety, and I hope you'll agree. Though, Samantha, I would like to add that I have found wearing black tourmaline gemstones have indeed been helping. And first and foremost, you have our absolute empathy and compassion with what you're going through with your dad and prayers. And um, I think you've brought up a very poignant point for our whole community of listeners. I agree. I think that, first of all, anxiety and the empath is a great show topic. So please look for that coming up in our spring line of shows, because that is something we all deal with, whether we're, you're an empath or not. I think anxiety is kind of on the rise as a culture. I agree. And I also think when we're dealing with something as difficult as she is, which is, you know, a parent going through all of this transition stuff, it's going to bring up anxiety anyway. And then you add on to that being an empath, it's just going to amp up everything. One of the things I like to always remind people, she mentioned manifesting. I do think it's important to keep in mind that we manifest all the time. We manifest everything, our thoughts, what we focus on, what we pay attention to. And so if you are focusing on your anxieties, it doesn't mean you're going to manifest those anxieties. Because what is manifested is what has the strongest energy, the strongest emotion to it. And fear is not the strongest emotion. Love is. So I just want to kind of, you know, calm any worries she has that she's going to manifest her anxieties. You will manifest more anxiety if you focused on your anxieties, but you're not going to manifest what you're feeling anxious about. I think that's really important to consider. Manifesting is based on the emotion that is strongest. And just keep that in mind. Fear is not a strong emotion. It's like a bully. You know how bullies look strong and they look big and then you stand up to them and suddenly you realize their bark is bigger than their bite? It's mm -hmm. kind of how fear is. And so some of the things that I would recommend is to really focus on meditation. And I don't mean you have to sit there and you know, just breathe and, and all of that. I mean, visualization meditation. So if she could spend five minutes in the morning where she just sits and, and mentally walks through her day as she wants it to go. And I'm talking nitty gritty stuff. I mean, like mentally visualize this drive and see it going effortlessly. Cars moving out of your way, no traffic, no issues, getting there in it with a breeze and on time. Visualize walking into work and everyone greeting you and saying, hey, it's so good to see you. Visualize your boss shaking your hand and patting you on the back, having lunch with friends, meeting new people, 
eating a good lunch. So I mean really visualizing every aspect of your day down to the minutia and seeing it going splendidly and smoothly. That is going to really start to direct the course of your emotions throughout your day. And then at the end of the day, do another meditation where you mentally review your day. And you try to do this with a loving perspective. So if something did get screwy that day, or if you said something that you later regretted, mentally review that through the lens of love and ask yourself, did I do the best I could in that situation? But I really do believe that when we go there in our mind first, we allow ourselves to be in the driver's seat of our life, which is where we belong. And when we lean into or cave into anxiety, anxiety is in the driver's seat and that's not fair to us or to the people around us. We each have a really important role to do each day of our lives. Some days your only purpose is to be really, really kind to the woman who's checking you out at the grocery store. That might be your only purpose that day. That's where you're sharing your light. But if you're leaning into anxiety, you're not going to even make eye contact with that cashier to spread that light. And so you're not going to fulfill your purpose that day. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think you just hit something very important to be kind to yourself as well, because that's this, the stress of driving back and forth, of caring for an older parent, of having anxiety in your own right. Find a way to be gentle with yourself and maybe take a few minutes every day to just be kind to you. Yes. And she mentioned black tourmaline. I can't tell you how strong this stone is. Have you ever known people that are just so strong? Like they could, there's a guy who used to live in our neighborhood and I am not making this up. Every single day after work, he would tie two tire trucks to his back and walk up and down the main street of my neighborhood. (laughs) Oh my. That was his workout. And we would just sit there and watch him go by like, what the heck? He was a strong guy. That's like black tourmaline. It is so strong. It can take anything. So you can Mm -hmm. take two huge tumbled pieces of black tourmaline, and I don't even mean huge, like the size of your palm, and you can hold them and send them all your worries and anxieties. That stone's not going to crack or break or cloud up like some other crystals. It's going to be able to absorb that for you. That's how strong black tourmaline is. Just make sure to rinse it, you know, at the end so it can release a lot of that for you, but it can absorb all of that anxiety for you. But I think that's a great idea for a show. Don't you? Oh, very much so. We will do some more research on that. All right. Our next question says, hi ladies. Thank you for sharing my story on the show. I'm the one who wrote the letter to my narcissistic mom and didn't hear back from her. Do you remember that? She wrote her mom the letter telling her everything and the mom didn't respond. Yeah. That was so sad. I know. Been there, done that, right? Mm -hmm. After spending lots of time soul searching and meditating on cord cutting and surrendering, I thought you might be interested to know that I decided to ride it out and let my mom reach out to me. Good for you. She waited until about two weeks before Christmas, but she did message me. It turns out that she never read the letter I sent. Okay, Denise, when I read that, I first, in my head, I went bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> I think she did read it, but couldn't own up to it. That's just yeah. my humble personal opinion. <laughs> she has decided to just pretend like nothing happened, and she is refusing to admit or acknowledge anything. Wow, what a shock. Narcissists never do that. So after giving it lots of consideration, my husband and I decided to make the two-hour journey on Christmas Day to spend time with my family and see her. She was very civil and nice to us and gave us so many presents. We managed to spend over four hours with her, and for the first time in a very long time, I was able to drive home without feeling like all my energy had been sucked out of me. I almost always feel sadness, disappointment, confusion, and anger after being around her, and I just didn't at all this time. I can't thank you enough for helping me to come to realize so much about myself and how to manage my emotions and energy. I know I mentioned it in my last email, but I'm also so grateful I found your podcast and discovered the episode about being the child of a narcissist, because I would probably still just be wondering if she's crazy or if it's my fault that we struggle with our relationship. You're right. Just discovering what I'm dealing with was half the battle. 
I'm taking the high road and choosing not to dwell on it anymore or engage with her unless she initiates it. Daily meditation is truly helping me to stay grounded and the power of surrender has been essential for working to get past all of this. Thank you. And I hope you have a happy new year. Wow. Thank you for sending that. That is a beautiful, beautiful note because so many of us have struggled with, if it's not a narcissistic parent or partner or coworker or, but it comes back to self-care, setting boundaries, meditate, realize what's yours to own and what isn't. I I just, I am so excited for this person. I am too. And, and I just want to go back to my comment. I, I didn't mean that cruelly or meanly. I just, narcissists just bug the heck out of me. And <laughs> I think that she did read that letter. And I think that's why the mom was kind to them. I think it's why she did buy them presents. I think it's why she was civil. She read that letter and a part of her knows that her daughter is absolutely right. Right. I Not that that's that. important. I know this isn't like a battle to win with a narcissist, but I do think that our dear friend listener, I think she got the validation she needed from her mom in the only way a narcissist can give it. Yes. Yes. But the fact that she was able to go and have the time and not suck it up like a sponge and, and have it be civil on all, all accounts, that's a beautiful, beautiful turning point and incredible validation for her that she's done the work. Exactly. And is doing the work. Right. This isn't a one and done. When dealing with a narcissist, it's ongoing. And she's, she's in there. She's ready. And that's, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for the update. So our next, our next little note is a little different. It says, hello, after listening to the last podcast and your discussion of orbs, photos, and hospitals, I knew I had to send you this picture and tell you the backstory. So it's a picture of this woman. Anyway, five years ago, I was pregnant with my second child. I was ecstatic to be pregnant again, but things with my child's father were uncertain with his job, and we were under a great deal of stress. Early on in my pregnancy, I was feeling quite emotional, and while driving in my car one day, I openly prayed, cried, and asked for a tangible sign so that I could feel at ease knowing all would be well for our family. It was a rainy and windy day, and as I was pulling into the driveway of my house, I parked my car, and directly in front of my car was a puddle. In the puddle sat a baby blue colored balloon with the phrase, congratulations on your baby boy, written on it. I couldn't believe my eyes, and chills ran up and down my body. I was so early in my pregnancy that we didn't know what the baby's gender was yet. I went into my house to put some things away, came back outside, and the balloon was gone, no longer in the puddle in my driveway. To this day, this is the most tangible sign I've ever received and helped me tremendously throughout my pregnancy. Months later, when I was in the hospital getting ready to to deliver my son, we decided to honor my late father and give my son my dad's name. While I was having contractions, I was walking up and down the hallways of the hospital with my doula and my mom stopped us to take a picture. When we got the pictures developed, we noticed a large baby blue colored orb right on my belly. So amazing. I just got willies from head to toe. This had to be my dad showing us his presence. Thank you again for being such a positive light. And you, you really can in the photo. And I, you can see it's, it's a beautiful. It's bright blue. It's not right. like, oh, there was something on the lens. It's blue, like electric blue. <laughs> and it's right over her belly. Right. And I'm sure someone could say, oh, it was from that photo. But it doesn't matter because to, to me, the balloon in the puddle, I just love that. I do too. I love, I, and it, you know, that that could just land right there when she needed it. Congratulations on your baby boy. Do I think her father put that balloon in the puddle? I would go with yes on that. A hundred percent. And I love a couple of things about this. One, the balloon disappeared. She went yeah. back out to check on it and it was gone. I think that is so cool. If it was there, I know me, I would have been like, well, I guess someone was having a baby shower down the road and I'm just making too much of this. But how does a deflated balloon in a wet puddle that's got density <laughs> and weight to it, how does that just disappear? Right. And it predicted the gender of her baby. Yes. Yes. I, mean, I, I just think that's such an uplifting, positive um, connection story. Yeah. And it shows that her dad must have had some crazy, awesome energy. 
Because mm-hmm. from what I've learned doing readings, giving signs like that, that those are really good signs, is, is hard for them. They have to really study their energy and learn how to do that. And usually people who are older souls or are more spiritually based are quicker learners on the other side. So it's just a, it's just a lovely story all around. And, and congratulations mm-hmm. on your baby boy. Yes. That's so, and what a beautiful uh, keepsake to have that picture with that blue orb on it. I know she can show it to her son and be like, look, grandpa was always around you. Oh, and that's who you're named that. for. Oh, and that's something else that comes up for me in readings a lot. I'd love to know if it does for you too, Denise. When we name our children after loved ones in heaven, it is such an honor to them that they become almost like a guardian over that child. Have you noticed that? See, my, my son is named after my father and his other grandfather. So his first and his, his middle name, he had a nickname, but his, his proper name is my father's name. And there have been times in his life when, when he was going through a rough time or, or having you know, questions or doubts that I have sensed my father so, so, so strongly around him. He's watched out for both my sons, but in particular. And at one point, and this is my son who's quite sensitive as well, and, and I had said, um, I went over and, and I could sense my father. They're so like as tangible, as, as real as if he was sitting in the room. I had gone to my son's apartment. And I said uh, later on after, you know, we were, were talking about what had happened. And, and I said, well, um, you know, that was, Grampy was right there the whole time. And he just lit right up and he said, I knew it was him. And oh. I just, I tear up every time I tell that because I've always asked my father to watch out for the boys. And I know he is. And I'm sure their, their paternal grandfather is as well in a different way. But I didn't have the same relationship with my father-in-law, obviously, that I had with my father. Wow. I didn't name my children after family members, but their middle names are named after saints, kind of. Oh, that's nice. So Olivia, her middle name is Mary for Mother Mary. And Tori is Anne with an E because I love Anna Green Gables, but also because Mary's mom is St. Anne. Anne. Yeah. Um, And then Chloe, I named her after the goddess Sophia. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't intended to be my son's name, but that's who he became. So it's interesting how that works. That proves my belief. I believe that children, especially children who are spiritually in tune to their moms in utero, I believe they name themselves. Yeah. Because none That's of my three cool. girls' names were names I ever, you know, when you're a little girl and you're playing games, you know, who are you going to marry and what, what are you going to name your Barbies? And those, I never had those three names picked out. I, I had different names picked out that I was sure of. And then which each, with each pregnancy, a name would pop into my head in really cool ways. Right. Very cool, though, isn't it? And yes, that's we had talked about doing a show later on on names and numerology, and it'll be fun to kind of play with that a little bit. Yeah, I'm excited for that show. All right, our next question says, "Hello, just wanted to say I really enjoy your podcast, and I listen to Psychic Teachers as well. Thank you. I was just wondering what your thoughts are on the 16 personality types, the Myers Briggs. I am an INFJ, which is me to a T." It is the rarest of the 16 personality types, making up only 1% of the population. It explains why I never really felt like I fit in and that I was different than everybody else. It explains why I've always wanted a career with meaning and purpose. I like deep conversations and hate small talk. I'd rather have a few close friends than a lot of fake ones. It's why I hate cruelty of any kind, why I am an empath and can feel others' emotions. It's why I think with and make decisions using my intuition and emotions. It explains why I sometimes can be mistaken for an ambivert, but really am an introvert. It's why I need my alone time. It's why I have trouble communicating. When asked something on the spot, I can't answer because I need time to process. But give me a paper and a pen, and then I can get out what I really want to say. It explains why I love science and art because of my ability to use the right and left sides of my brain. It makes me wonder if we empaths are all this type. It would be an interesting topic for a podcast. We are the mystics, the healers, the most empathic of all the personality types. Wow. That's a really, really cool thing to think about. The Myers-Briggs test is that personality test. A lot of kids have to take it in high school 
Some have to take it in college. I know I had to take it in like a sociology class in college. And it, it's designed to help teach you what career you're best suited for. I, I took that thing so many times, Denise, and every time it said teacher. And I was like, son of a bitch, I don't want to be poor. <laughs> <laughs> but that thing is always right. And it would, wouldn't it be fun to be able to do a science experiment and ask all of our listeners to take the Myers-Briggs and tell us if they are an INFJ? Right. Or what, I'm sure that there's probably the top three or four that we'd all fall into. Yeah. Well, and- I would like everyone to know that I have a new little reminder thing on my phone in my, in my, what is it called? My notes app, I think. And I write down all your recommendations now. I used to just try to jot them down on whatever piece of paper I was using that week for all my reminders. And then I would lose that piece of paper. So I am carefully jotting down all these show ideas and we really are appreciative of it because we like for this show to feel like it's a co-creation with you all and us. So this would be another great show idea. I'm so, so glad you brought that up because that's the beauty of this is that we really are a community. I mean, you and I host the show and we bring up the topics, but we want everyone to feel like it's theirs as well. Exactly. Okay. Our next one. Uh, Hi, Denise and Samantha. First of all, I love your podcast and I'm so grateful for what you do. I've implemented a lot of the things you've taught or suggested in the past and things have greatly improved in a lot of ways. That being said, I'm still struggling with my life at work. I'm a costume designer in the theater of a liberal arts college. While I love my job and the students who work with me, they can be a lot. Our shop is small and in the basement of the fine arts center. We've tried to make it comfortable, peaceful, and happy environment, but these students come in with so much energy and emotion. How do I keep my sanity? I meditate, I put up shields, I bring in stones and sage the place. I don't know what else to do. I'm so exhausted at the end of the day, I just want to lay on the couch. I'm wondering if there is any jewelry or a combination of things that would help me. I feel like no matter what I do, I absorb anything around me and get overwhelmed and want to shut down. But I need to function. Any suggestion? Thanks again for everything that you do. And, you know, I kind of sensed a familiarity with that in that when I was working around teenagers or young adults, they're intense. They, they just, they're all intense on an individual level. Whether they're quiet or loud or whatever, they're intense humans. Also, what's interesting is that age group is when if you have um, a propensity towards being naturally intuitive or a medium or psychic or any of those things, it really goes off the charts in late teens, early 20s. So she's dealing with all of that emotion as well. Yeah, it's a lot. I would recommend the first word that popped into my head when I read this was grounding. I do think that she's doing all the right things, but grounding her energy throughout the day, taking little breaks to just walk around the office barefoot or go outside or just imagine tree roots coming down out of the base of her feet would be really, really helpful. And there are two crystals that I would highly recommend. One is zeolite. It's Z-E-O-L-I-T-E. It's pretty common. You can almost always find it at Home Goods. You can just Google zeolite and click images so you'll know what to look for. But it's not that expensive. They grow in these little cluster formations. And zeolite has two jobs. One is to remove negative energy from the environment. So it's not necessarily, you know, some stones are meant to lay on the body and remove energy from you. Like kyanite is really good for that. But zeolite is best for placing in a home or office because it'll just kind of um, like a vacuum cleaner suck out any negative anxious energy from the whole environment. Mm -hmm. And then the other stone that works so great with zeolite is apophyllite, which grows naturally in these little pyramid formations. It's a little bit more expensive than zeolite, but you can just get one or two of the apophyllite pyramids. You can find them on eBay. There's I, I got a bunch of pyramids from eBay there. I found a little eBay seller and all they sell are apophyllite pyramids. That was years ago, but I'm hoping they're still around because they were very, very good quality. Just always 
whenever you're buying crystals, read the customer reviews so that you know you're going to a good quality crystal seller. But mm -hmm. many, many, many metaphysical stores will have Apophyllite pyramids. And if they don't, you can ask them and they can order them for you. But those two stones together, like what would be really ideal is if she could get four Apophyllite pyramids and put them in the four corners of the office and then, and then place a zeolite cluster uh, somewhere in the center of that room where they are all, you know, coming together and, and working. And also I would recommend, I wonder, since this is theater, I'm wondering if she could do some exercises with the kids to help them discharge some of their energy. That's an excellent, excellent uh, piece of advice. Yes. I was so shy as a kid that in middle school, my mom made me take acting classes and I was mortified. I really tried to resist going. It was the best thing she ever did for me. It helped me a lot. And one of the things we would do every, every afternoon that we met, we'd all hold hands and she'd ask us to dump all of our energy into the middle of the circle. And then we'd shake all around, like just shake your whole body to shake out and disperse that energy. It was silly, but it was fun. Right. And it worked. And I think so. you're right. And that's also one last little thing is as far as the arts will attract highly creative a lot of very highly sensitive people are involved in the arts so she's I, I just keep getting this visual of all of these like incredibly strong personalities and rays of energy coming into her space and it's almost like a tornado of energy and color I know I mean any any time you're around that age group is going to be like that too I wonder yeah. if she could also work with what she does for a living because if she's working with costumes, I wonder if she could just imagine wearing a costume of peace. Oh, that's true. I don't know. That's very true. Hi, Samantha and Denise. I have a question about mediumship or other psychic abilities as it relates to the natural world. I've been on a winding path trying to find my purpose in this life, going through school for engineering and spending four years at a nuclear plant before quitting because it was horrible for my spirit. Then I had a daughter and all the repressed childhood trauma of growing up with a narcissistic parent came vomiting up out of my soul, which sent me on a crazy ride of digging down to find what I truly believed and who I was. Three and a half years later, I'm finally on this metaphysical path and I feel more at home than I ever thought possible. I'm a strong intuitive and a deep empath being called to learn things about Reiki, but I don't want to focus on these abilities on humans, but rather on the environment and agricultural fields. Is it possible to have psychic gifts specifically for the purpose of healing animals and plants? I feel this deep pull to help raise the vibration of my community through my efforts on the suburban farm, specifically the repurposing of waste food to feed hundreds of chickens, and in the thoughtful stewardship of land for the care of all living beings who might find themselves there. In a weird way, I almost feel like I'm supposed to be like a woo-woo Dr. Doolittle, <laughs> but I just can't, but I can just feel that I'm missing an essential piece of the puzzle when it comes to communicating with them. Is that even possible? What kinds of teaching would even help with that? Have you ever encountered psychics or mediums who could channel these kinds of beings? I admit I feel a little nuts even trying to Google such a thing. Thank you so much for your insight and all you contribute to the world. Wow. Okay. I love this question because we need more people like her. Yes. I and, definitely. And, she, and it is very much a thing. It's it a is, huge thing. Yes. It is very, very much a thing. You can take whole classes and seminars and get certified in animal communication. There are wonderful resources. I just finished, I'll try to Google it. Well, you're answering the question in a minute, but I just finished a book by Ted Andrews. You, you guys know I'm always recommending him, but he wrote this book. It's more of a biography of his life than, a, than even a how-to, but it's all about how he learned to get in touch with nature, plants, trees, and animals. So I think she would enjoy that. There's also that wonderful school in Scotland where they study the gardening. Um, Findhorn. Findhorn. Thank you, Findhorn. And I believe they have online classes, but they also have wonderful books that are teaching tools as well. 
So I would recommend that she look into some animal communicators near or around her. There's one right by you. Is it Lauren Rainbow? No, she's not an animal communicator. She's oh. an amazing medium, though. She is absolutely amazing. Danielle McKinnon is That's over it. my way. That's yeah. it. Danielle McKinnon. That's right. And so she offers classes and has a great book on animal communication. But I, I just think there's great resources and a wonderful need for this. All right. I'm going to shut up while I research that book and, and well, let you the, the other thing is I think she's absolutely spot on with it, the agriculture, the healing, the earth, the vibration of the plants. So many people are being drawn to plant medicine right now, to the energy of plants. They're living living sentient beings in their own right and we we talked about that on other shows of eating organically but i i think personally as empaths whether you're a plant empath or, or a medicine healer or um you have that grounded energy to work with with plants animals you know physical physical stuff in the world not just humans that it's a, a different level but equal level of healing that needs to take place. And it also goes along with why so many of us are tapping into the, on my own personal aside, the sustainability, the take care of the environment. I mean, I've been on this path for a long time. And, and I also, this, this, per, this woman has my absolute love and respect for having been in such a science-based, being wired like an engineer, working in a power plant, and being brave enough and strong enough to step away from that world. Because that is huge. And, and there must have been some real conflict with stepping away from such a linear sequential place to something that's not quite as tangible. Yeah, it definitely takes courage. But thank God for all of us and on behalf of the animals that she's doing that because we, we need that. The book is called The Intercession of Spirits, Working with Animals, Angels, and Ancestors by Ted Andrews. And I just got it in December for $7.26. So it's not even that expensive. Very cool. Yeah. And he talks, he has wonderful stories in there about really and truly learning to listen to trees and communicate with the Divic realm and feel connected to nature and animals. I, I think she'll enjoy it. Well, there's a book out, and I don't know the name, but you can, someone else can Google this, about how they did all that research on the underground, like all the trees are connecting through the roots and they communicate. Oh, yes, yes. That's in my wish list. I can probably find it. Okay. Um, are we ready for the next one? We are. Okay. Um, hi, Samantha and Denise. I recently received an energy healing session called Divine Touch Healing. The practitioner channels directly from God, and as I understand it, the whole point is to take you back to your first creation, to re-remember who you are, and to be able to heal old wounds still affecting you in your current life. I was told after this session that I was an angel, an angel here on earth. I was told that the anger, shame, and guilt that I carry in my life stems from shame and guilt from leaving the mother of the mother-father, and anger from at one point feeling abandoned by the other angels. My world is rocked, to say the least. Apparently, it takes more than one session for you to remember these things. The practitioner was telling me about my feelings. I wasn't necessarily feeling them myself. However, the next day, I was doing some self-reiki and at one point was sobbing uncontrollably, feeling the guilt and sadness for leaving. I apologized out loud over and over again. I still don't remember anything, but those feelings were very real to me. I also felt an incredible sense of not belonging here, that I need to fix the way I left things when I came here. Please do not mistake this for any type of feeling that I intend to cause harm to myself, and that's not it at all. It's just an overwhelming feeling of wanting to, to go back and make things right. I was told that I came here on earth in this lifetime to heal. Maybe I'm supposed to make things right here and now. I don't even know what my question really is. Just curious what your thoughts are and what happened to me. And do you know of angels here on earth? Do you know of the mother, father, God? Where can I learn more myself? Just really looking for anything that you have to say. I'm not sure if I'm going to have more sessions, but I probably will. My boss has been having weekly sessions for over a year and has said that they have made more of a positive impact on her life and opened up her gifts more than any other modality she's tried and she's tried it all. 
I have some pretty strong feelings about this, so I'm going to let you you go with this first. Okay. Well, the first thing I want to say is I just have two little warning flags. One, when the practitioner told her it would take more than one session to get the information out. Mm -hmm. That's usually a little red flag to me. Readers should never encourage people to come back like that. Don't right. you agree? I agree. That was one of my caution. Yes. Yeah. And two, when she said everything was being told to her, she wasn't feeling it herself. Yes. Red flag. Red flag. Um, three, I don't know how true this is, but I was taught and I tend to believe that angels and humans are different species. Mm -hmm. Now, can humans act angelic and be like an earth angel? Sure. But I believe they are different creations. That's my personal aside as well. I see the angelic realm. Do I think that they're here to help us and guide us and protect us? We all Do I believe we all have guardian angels? Yes. And I don't know if this is my, my upbringing with, with that differentiation. Or do I think that people act as, guard, as angels on earth? Without a doubt. But I've never... I, I, I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with the concept of, of this modality. And, and no disrespect, because if it's working and people yeah. are finding good results, and it, this is an excellent, excellent example of do what resonates for you. But I agree with your red flags. I'm a little bit cautious of if you're not, and we always put, we're empaths, damn it. Go with what you feel. Um, and if it's not feeling or resonating, and also the fact that, I, I, and, and not, I don't, I'm not a big, big fan of, of going for something that's going to make you feel guilty and shameful and guilty and shame. And that's not the point of, of spirituality and woo and healing. No. It, it may, it may unroot some stuff. Um, I've done uh, some, some practices in the past that they make you look at your own stuff with a magnifying glass and that can be painful and it can bubble stuff up. Sometimes a past life regression can have that kind of an impact. But on the whole, it should bring you peace and solace and comfort and inner knowing and light. Yeah. And that's just my own personal way of looking at all of, of the um, healing modalities, especially if we're going to call them healing. Yeah, I agree. So I, I feel like there's a lot of red flags there. Uh, Mother, Father, God, that's just the concept that you know, if it takes a mom and a dad to create you, then maybe it took a mom and a dad God to create all of us. Right. And, and, that, and that goes with, I mean, if you go into indigenous, if you go into different cultures, different beliefs, that feels more of a, a, um, a belief system that you, it may resonate with you and it may not. Right. Right. And I look at, I look at like God, the father and Mary, the mother, cause that resonates with, with my beliefs. Right. But you know, again, like Denise said, you have to go with what feels right. But, um, this, this whole idea of leaving an office and feeling filled with shame and, and guilt for things you were told you, you have done, but you didn't recall on your own. I would give that some serious thought. You know, it, and this is odd, but what, what just came to me as well is to, have, okay, so say you go to someone for Reiki, and it's okay, and you're like, well, that was nice, and I'm relaxed, and then you go to someone who feels like they're more of a channel of that energy, and you have a completely different experience. So I wonder if, if there was another um, practitioner, if she would have the same experience. Right. And, and see, I, I also, God, all that is, divinity, whatever that label is, I would really hope that we're all trying to tap into that connection. But we're the vessel, we're the messenger, we're the, it comes through us, not from us. And to say that one modality has more of a connection than another is also a bit of a red flag for me. Yeah. Yeah, so I would just say go into your heart center, go into your own intuition, and just ask yourself, does this feel true? Um, do I have to go back and pay this woman money 
to tell me things that my soul already knows. And lastly, her example that it's been incredibly successful for her boss, that's beautiful. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you and I could be totally wrong. Right. It's happened it, it, before. <laughs> but, but, but it's just, it's similar to, I may go to a practitioner and you may go to a practitioner. And I'll say, oh my God, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And you'll go and say, meh, it was okay. It wasn't yeah. that great. Yeah. Very, very true. Okay, our next question says, Hello, thank you for the wonderful words you share. I wanted to send along this idea that I had for myself. I tend to work in an environment with a lot of competitive energy around me, which can be exhausting and toxic, especially for an empath. I wanted more affirmations in my life, but I don't do well with taping things to the wall or the mirror while brushing my teeth or using alarms on my phone, which got annoying and disturbed many meetings. So I repurposed a flower pot took affirmations from everywhere, books, Pinterest, etc., that resonated with me, typed them up in a Word document, printed them out, cut them up, and put them in my clean flower pot. Every day I take one or two, and I place it right in front of my screen on the computer. Since I'm at work eight hours a day, five days a week, I think having something written showing me what I would like to embody for that day has really helped me see the bigger picture and remind me of my spiritual experience. So I thought that was just a lovely idea to share. She's taking ownership of these affirmations. So rather than, you know, just picking one from a deck of cards, for example, she's creating her own and putting them in front of her while she works all day. I, I used to, you know, the little tiny angel cards that you used to be able to get and they'd have yeah. one word on them. Yeah. And there's usually a blank, couple blanks in there. I would always throw the blanks in, not write anything on them. And when I got the blank card, I, I always would get this feeling in my heart that I had connected with like, I always thought that was my guide letting me know I was okay or connection from divine. So sometimes throw the blank in. That's just kind of an aside. Yeah. And, and let your intuition. Yeah. Away. Um. Yeah, I, I think that that's a lovely, lovely practice. And also the positive ramifications of actually taking the time to write it down, to print it out, or to, to find these quotes that do resonate. And it's, that's a great thing to try. It is, and it works. Um, okay, the next one says, Hi, Denise and Samantha. I've enjoyed your show so much. As I devote more time to opening up, I find myself with a growing interest in cards. Are there any decks that you would recommend for a beginner? Should I focus more on tarot or oracle cards? Thank you so much. I am a big believer in find a place where you can go in and touch them, feel them, look at them, pick at them, and see which ones resonate for you. If you don't have that option, a very basic, I mean, Rider weight that's going to give you the symbolism. It's going to give you the basic. There's a lot of information on that. But, oh, my goodness gracious, there are so many decks now. It's ridiculous. And yeah. the difference between Tarot and Oracle. I mean, Tarot, you're going to learn the system of Tarot, the suits, the cards, the, the whole thing. An Oracle is going to give you more of a one-time message. Do you find that as well? Yes, I do. And, and I find it almost impossible to recommend an Oracle deck because there are so many out there and because there are so many different kinds. Most metaphysical stores that I have been in, and I've been in a lot, will have a test, what's it called, like, like a sample open deck. So yes. you can flip through it. And if you don't have a metaphysical store next uh, near you, a listener gave me this tip I never knew about, Denise, and it's awesome. If you are searching for an Oracle deck or a Tarot deck on, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or whatever local bookstore you use, and you can't see inside the deck, you can go to YouTube and type in the name of that deck and then unboxing. There oh. are whole channels on YouTube where all people do is unbox a deck of Tarot or a deck of Oracle cards, and they show you what each and every card is. Oh, my goodness. I know. It's so great because I'll think, oh, I, I, she's got a new deck out. Let me see what it's about. And then I can't see inside of it. Well, I need to see the pictures because me if the too. pictures don't resonate with me, I'm not going to use that deck. Right. So you can go on YouTube, type in the name, and then unboxing and click on a video and see inside of it. Now that is good information right there. My very first deck 
that I bought for myself was a beginner's tarot deck that was the traditional weight rider, but it had the meanings printed on the card. Oh. And a lot of tarot teachers will say, don't do that. Or It helped me <laughs> tremendously. <laughs> I still have that deck. It helped me a lot. It gave me the courage. Because when you're trying to do, how you start off reading tarot is reading for your friends and family, right? Right. And so you get your friends sitting down at the dining room table across from you and you do this, the spread and then you're like, hold on, just got to flip through this 300 page book till I can find the queen of cups. Hold on. Whereas if it's, it gets awkward and long and drawn out and you feel uncomfortable and your intuition is not flowing at all. But when I would put these cards out and the meaning reversed and upright was right there on the card, I could look at it and then I could focus on the picture and let my intuition do the rest. So mm -hmm. it, it triggered a lot for me. I, I recommend it. But again, you have to do what works for you. Right. Okay, the um, name of that book I was, that we were talking about two questions ago uh, is called The Hidden Life of Trees. What oh. they feel, how they communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World by Peter Wallabin. I don't know if That's, I'm saying that right. Yeah. But there it's, you have it. Thank you for finding that. Yes. Okay. Our next question says, Hi, ladies. I wrote this email a few days ago and deleted it. But after listening to the numerology show, I took it as my sign to write and actually send it this time. I am having a seven year and I am a master 11 and a double Scorpio to boot. Wow. That's a lot of spiritual energy. Mm -hmm. I have always been interested in the metaphysical world and all things spirit related. While I grew up in the buckle of the Bible belt where these things aren't exactly smiled upon, my parents exposed me to some really cool things during my childhood. My dad would discuss young and Taoism and taught me how to astral project out of bad dreams when I was very young. My mom was not as vocal about her intense natural abilities, but would regularly set off alarm clocks and VCRs as she walked by. Plus, I'm convinced she actually can read my mind. I have a love for astrology, and as a family, we regularly took trips to a haunted hotel. I even got to see John Edwards in my early teens. I am still so interested in all things metaphysical. I have a hunch I'm a healer, but I've never intentionally pursued that path or had it confirmed in any way. I'm hesitant to learn and practice anything metaphysical. A number of years ago, when my mom started exploring more into this world, she had a bad experience in a group setting where to her, it felt like someone was stealing her energy. And she ended up in the hospital with an irregular painful heartbeat of sorts from a virus. Because of this, I'm incredibly apprehensive about even opening myself up. I know to ground myself and surround myself in white light and sage and crystals and all, but I'm still scared. What if something bad or scary comes in? Or heaven forbid, I see something in a mirror. What else can I do to protect myself? How do I know if I'm supposed to pursue any of this or if it's just a fun interest? Thanks, thanks ladies, again, for everything you do. Well, I think that's a really good question because it's one we all have to face and consider and look at carefully. I think I've said many times on the show that while I do kind of judge at least my religion, for coming down so hard on all of this stuff. I also understand why they come down so hard on all of this stuff. Sure, there's the whole political thing, like if we open up, then we're not going to need them to intervene for us. But I think they also are telling us to stay away from this stuff as a way to protect us because there is negative stuff out there. There are negative people out there. And if you just jump into this metaphysical world willy-nilly without properly learning all of the techniques and studying your own in, in energy and asking for that protection, you could stumble into something negative. And so I don't ever want to be that airy-fairy person who's like, there's no such thing as anything negative. Hell is only in your mind. I really do believe there's negative stuff out there. However, I also believe strongly in the positive stuff out there and love always wins. It always does. We have to remember that God gave us the gift of free will. So we can freely go to the toy store and buy a Ouija board and use it. That's our free will. However, we also have the free will to ask for protection. And the minute we ask for that protection, it is there. It is there. It is always with us when we ask. And so I would say to her, 
if you feel all these nudgings to go into this world, to explore your healing abilities, if you were born into this family that fostered such a wonderful seeker's mind, that's for a reason. And if you join a group and you feel there's someone, it only takes one, only one bad apple, you feel there's one bad person in that group, leave the group. I've done that. Haven't you, Denise? Mm-hmm. Yes. I joined you a group. You have to honor that. You have to honor that. I joined a group. I really, really liked them a lot. It was small. There were like six of us, I think. We met for maybe seven or eight weeks. And then one of them started talking about seeing negative aliens around us. I was out of there so fast, I never went back. Right. Nope, I don't want this. And so I think you're going to come across this again and again and again on your path. There are energy vampires everywhere, not just in the metaphysical world. They are all around us. But there are specific things you can do to protect yourself. We don't have time in this show to go into all of them. We have touched upon psychic protection many times throughout the course of this podcast, but you can read wonderful books on psychic protection. Dion Fortune's Psychic Self-Defense is probably my go-to, as is Ted Andrews' book on psychic protection. But there are new ones being written every day that are all filled with great information. However, I think the best thing you can do is pray into your day and pray out of your day and ask for that guidance and protection to be with you always, and it will be. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. I I really have nothing to add to that. You covered it. so lovely. Well, thank you. Do we have time for some more questions? Sure. Um, I think we can do, we have a couple quick ones, I think. Um, Hi, Samantha and Denise. I had a question about something peculiar that happened to me on New Year's Eve. I felt fine all day and night at 10 p.m. I became really sick. It came so out of the blue with a fever and violent shivering. I haven't felt that sick in a while and it really scared me. Then by midnight, the symptoms finally started to subside. And by the following evening, I felt back to normal again. The whole experience was bizarre. And I thought I would ask you ladies if you have any idea what could explain this. I went from a personal nine year in 2019, which was pretty rough emotionally, to a one year in 2020. So maybe I had to clear some last minute emotional spiritual junk before I start the next cycle. Let me know what you think. Um, My practical mind wants to say, oh, you had a touch of something. But I like, (laughs) I I think her, uh, her explanation of release, because that was that whole time period with the eclipses, with the releasing, with the, there was a lot of energy around the new year. And yeah, there really she, was. Just really, uh, but you know more about the numerology of it, so maybe you could, could give a little blurb on that. Sure, well, nine is called the garage sale year, and so it is the year that we release and let go of anything and anyone that is no longer serving us, and so it feels like this was almost like a last minute flush, excuse my wording there, but it's the only thing that's coming to mind of just pushing the rest of anything that she was holding on to from that nine year out to make way for her one year beginning in 2020. And a one year symbolizes a brand new chapter. It's like getting a new journal with all these unwritten pages on it. It's, it's a year where you get to start welcoming in new people, new opportunities, new situations, new insights, new, new, new. But nine, nine years are wonder. Every year has its positive and negative to it. So there's a lot of positive to a nine year. It's where things come full circle and you get to finally reap the rewards from all your hard work from the last one to eight cycle years you've gone through. The negative side of the nine year is it is a year of endings, sometimes losses, things wrapping up and really releasing and letting go of beliefs and methodologies and relationships and ways of interacting with the world that are no longer serving us. But I also wonder, you know, 10 p.m. is when she felt this. Don't you feel that everyone, wherever they are, if they're at a fabulous party or if they're just sitting on their couch in their jammies watching the ball drop with Ryan Seacrest, I feel like there's always this moment of sadness before the year ends where you think about all the people we've lost. You think about the, the loved ones that aren't with you. You think about all the 
intentions you had for the year that maybe didn't come to pass, there is that feeling of sadness that comes and goes on New Year's Eve, I feel. And I wonder if she was just tuning into that in terms of the collective conscious as well. That would make sense. That would make a whole lot of sense. Our new routine uh, for, well, actually this New Year's Eve, it was, I was down to one daughter. My other two were out at their own parties. But our new thing that we love to do is see if um, Anderson Cooper gets drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He and Andy Cohen host the ball dropping and they do shots. And it's just so funny to see. I love Anderson Cooper and to see him loosen up. It's, it's hilarious. Anyway, put that on my bucket list. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our next question says, I just got done listening to the recognizing the narcissist. I just found your podcast and I'm trying to catch up. I'm wondering if there are any books for dealing with an ex who is a narcissist. My son's dad is one and I still have to deal with him since we have a 13 year old son. I think there's a couple of good books out there that I would recommend. One is Will I Ever Be Free of You? How to Navigate a High-Conflict Divorce from a Narcissist and Heal Your Family by Dr. Carol McBride. She's the one who also wrote that book I'm always recommending to daughters of narcissistic mothers called Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Mm -hmm. Another book that's um, often recommended and I enjoyed reading as well is called Becoming the Narcissist's Worst Nightmare by Shahida Aribi. She has a really good blog as well. And then the other one I found when I was trying to answer this question to her personally, I have not read, so I can't speak for it, but it's called Splitting, Protecting Yourself While Divorcing Someone with Borderline or Narcissistic Personality Disorder. And it did get good reviews. So I'd recommend checking out some of those um, for help. But I'd also recommend working through this with, with a trusted therapist because I think it can be difficult to divorce a narcissist, especially one that you have to keep engaging so you can't go no contact. Having a professional who's experienced with narcissism can be invaluable. Yes. And again, I just want to say if money or insurance is an issue, you can always call a therapist and ask if they know of any counselors who work on a sliding scale. If you get the runaround or voicemail, you can always call your local Catholic social ministries. You don't have to be Catholic. They have a list of resources for people who can't afford therapist. That's very, very important. Again, it comes back to do what you need to do to take care of yourself in these situations and also to heal so that yes. you can break that cycle. Um, I okay, would just saved- love to, sh- yeah. Oh. This I would just love to share this last one if we our have best time. for last. Okay, um, hi Denise, my beautiful Rhodesian Ridgeback and friend Orland tore out of the house New Year's Eve while the fireworks were exploding all around our home. He had jumped out the front door. He had jumped on the front door handle and managed to open it and run. As I roamed the woods and streets all night, calling him and literally bawling my eyes out. I kept thinking, please, Archangel Michael, protect him and bring him back to me. The night came and went, went, and no sign of Orlin. I called pounds, vet offices, police, set on a Facebook alert, a pet safe alert, walked the woods and neighboring villages again and again. Nonetheless, I kept thinking, please, Archangel Michael, keep him safe. Later that afternoon, I received a call from the pounds saying that Orlin was there and was ready to be picked up. I was stunned to be greeted by not only the pound manager, but also a police officer. The officer proceeded to ask a ton of questions about where and when I'd gotten the dog, whether we were out of town on New Year's Eve and had left him in the care of someone else, and on and on it went. I lost patience with these odd questions and asked whether there was a problem. Had Orlin caused an accident? Did anyone get hurt? The policeman assured me that all was okay, but it was confused that Orlin's owner was a woman. He explained that he and his partner were patrolling in a town 16 kilometers away from my house New Year's night, and as they drove across the town's marketplace, they noticed a very tall man in a coat with a wide hood over his head walking alongside a big brown dog. They had noticed that the dog didn't seem to be on a leash or collar, so they turned around and drove back to the marketplace in order to speak to the man and remind him that it was mandatory to have a dog on a leash for safety reasons. However, when they got back to the marketplace, the dog was alone. No sign of the man. 
he had vanished. Can you imagine the look on my face? Of course, I wasn't about to say to the officer, oh, no worries, kind sir. I just called on my pal Archangel Michael to zip on out and find Orlin and keep him safe. That was certainly him. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Keep moving and a lovely day to you too. But just wow and a million times over, thank you. In any event, Orlin is back and I couldn't be happier or more grateful. Of course, we donated to the Pound and Police Force Association to show our gratitude after sleeping at the log for two days. Our four-legged friend is back to his usual self. I love, love, love that story. Love it. too. One of my favorites I've heard in a long time. Me too. Get, I got willies. when I, Every time I read this, I get willies. Oh, I do too. Because again, as I was saying with the other listener's question, when we call on that protection, it really is there. Yes. No matter what time, and it doesn't matter, a million people could call on Archangel Michael simultaneously. And he yes. is here. You know, and I always wonder, is it him? Is it one of his trainees <laughs> but you know uh, physics is showing that you know bilocation trilocation is actually possible so i think he's able to be in many many places at one time right and just also that for a lot of us our pets are our family they're part of the family they're part of part of the herd as we like to say and they are watched over by angels. They are also watched over by our loved ones in heaven. And of course, St. Francis is also a wonderful person to pray to when you're asking about help for your animals and pets. But thank you so much for sharing that story because it's just a great reminder of how there are so many different beings on the other side who are waiting to help us to step in and give us the guidance, the help, the assistance that we are asking for. But because of that law of free will, we have to ask for it. Right. Very, very cool. And, you know, maybe that police officer would have been open to it. I mean, Archangel Michael is the patron saint of police officers, and many, many, many cops that I have known wear an Archangel Michael medallion or carry a lucky coin in their patrol car. Yes, that's true. Well, we hope these questions have given you all some sustenance of spirituality and hope and inspiration to take throughout your week. If you have a wonderful story, synchronicity, or question that you'd like to share with us and our listeners, please remember you can always share it with us on Facebook at Enlightened Empaths. Just send us a message, or you can email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. We hope you have a great and happy and wonderful rest of your week. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care. Bye-bye.